0: Acts chapter 12, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak round you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and describe how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. This is God's word.
1: What a cracking little passage. Shall we pray um, as we look at it together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we know that in, in this world, being a Christian is not always the easiest thing. There will be those who do not like it and who want to, to stop the church from proclaiming your word. Whether it happened here, it happens today, would this passage give us confidence that you are still at work and that we can be part of that work as we continue to live for Jesus and as we pray for those who are persecuted? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What can you do when it feels like the world is against you? For some Christians around the world, that is not a hypothetical question. Their world, their world is against them. So I was reading this week about um, a church leader in Eritrea called Musée. Musée was imprisoned for leading an unregistered church. Um, now, an, an Eritrean prison is um, not like summer camp, okay? It is um, it's pretty grim. People end up in, in, some of the prisons are just in shipping containers Um, Out in the middle of the desert, some just you just tunnel, uh, tunnel, make a tunnel in the in the hill, and just put prisoners in there. It is no uh, simple thing to be a prisoner in that country, and yet Christians are put there just for leading a church, just for trying to preach the gospel. And there are many many similar stories all across the world in Iran, um, in Central Asia, um, all across this world. It is a reality for many uh, Christians today. The world is against them. Now, for you and me, we're, we're probably not about to be thrown into prison uh, for following Jesus. Our lives probably won't be threatened. But we all know that our society is becoming more hostile to Christians, isn't it? So I don't know how much you've um, followed the, um, if you're into Scottish politics, how much you've followed the, um, the what, what is it, a sort of election among the SNP members for the new leader of the SNP, Um, and the new first minister of Scotland, Um, and the response to Kate Forbes, who is uh, an evangelical Christian and a Bible-believing church. It has been extraordinary, hasn't it? Um, uh, uh, The other candidates and a large chunk of the media basically saying, or actually saying, someone who would have voted against equal marriage should not be the first minister of a modern progressive Scotland. See what they're saying there? They're They're not saying... You're not competent to do it. They're not even saying we don't like your policies or the policies that you've said that you'll bring in. No, your your personal view, your your faith, means you are excluded from that role. Now we'll see. I think the results are coming out tomorrow, and um, we'll see if the membership of the SNP agree with um, uh, with those other candidates and with uh, large parts of the media. We'll see. Unless um, unless you're running for public office, you're unlikely to face that level of personal scrutiny for your views. But we can all feel it, can't we? Maybe it's in the the snide comment of a colleague or the deliberately awkward question um, from your boss or just the general assumption in the air that if you're a Christian, you're on the wrong side of history Maybe, um, maybe you're here this evening and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, and it's one of the things that stops you from putting your trust in Jesus, actually thinking, what will my friends think of me if I take this step? What if actually becoming Christian has an impact on my career prospects or whatever it is? As it becomes harder um, to, to express or live out our faith in, in Jesus in this country, what can we do? Maybe we should um, hire a great team of lawyers. Um, Maybe we we need to support um, Christians in the public square or be a Christian in the public square. Absolutely. Maybe we should live consistently and and seek to speak about Jesus when the opportunity arises. Definitely. But we also need to do what the Christians here do when they face uh, that sort of pressure. We need to pray. And we sort of know that's the right answer, isn't it? Christians ought to pray. But so often it feels weak. And that is why I think Acts 12 is is given to us here. To give us confidence. To give us confidence that in the face of any opposition, we can pray. We pray to the Lord of the universe who has more power than all of the secular authorities combined. So when persecution comes, God's people pray. That's what we see in verses one to five. We're, we're, we're back in Acts, aren't we? And we, we, the narrative shifted back to Peter. And Peter, who, who has a, a previous prison break back in Acts chapter five, where the focus there was on, Peter, keep preaching the gospel. Keep preaching the gospel, even when people tell you to Stop. And ever since then, the gospel has been spreading from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Back in Acts 12, we're we're, we're back in Jerusalem. And the state is now the the, the persecuting authority. Before it was was the religious establishment. Now it's the state. And the focus here is on the church's role, which is to pray, and on the Lord's part to rescue and to grow his church. Let's dive in from verse one. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Okay, here they are facing persecution, persecution that is real and that is serious. King Herod has the Christians arrested and intends to persecute the church. That is his goal. Now, King Herod, he's got some family history when it comes to persecution, okay? King Herod's grandfather was Herod the Great um, of nativity, play and um, fame. So uh, uh, the grand, the, the grand, he's the grandson of the, the Herod who was king when Jesus was born, and slaughtered um, the, the, all the boys in Bethlehem, etc. He's the nephew of Herod Antipas, who was the, the, the king when Jesus was put on trial. The persecution is serious and it is real. And verse 2 doesn't get much more hopeful, does it, for the situation. Verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. It's just one little verse in the story, it's easy to skim over it. But James is one of the one of the big names in the early church. He was one of Jesus' three closest friends. You have Peter, James, and John, Jesus' closest disciples. And he's executed here. He's taken out of the picture. Just a little aside, in in Acts, any time we read a story in Acts, we're always asking, is this something that we should always expect to happen? Is this something that was just happening then, once, special occasion? Or is this something that we should expect to happen some of the time? This story of, of Peter's miraculous escape from prison comes after James, another big name in the church, is executed. So whatever we do here, we, we cannot say that this is what we should expect every time. Every time uh, Christians are persecuted, we pray and God gets them out of trouble. But the church here is called to pray. Herod, is in a, 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 a Herod has put Peter in a pretty difficult situation. Verse 3, when Herod saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, that is the death of James, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Festival of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Herod thinks, well, that was quite popular. I rounded up the Christians, I had one of their leaders executed, and everybody cheered. Everybody said, great work, Herod, keep it up. Popular opinion has always been a big steer for those in positions of leadership. And so Peter is locked up in prison, facing trial and probable execution. The whole might of, of the Roman system, the Roman justice, is against him. So, what are the Christians going to do? Should they hold a rally? Should they get their pitchforks and, and and storm the prison? Well, we see what they do in verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church prays. They pray earnestly, fervently to God for Peter. And I don't know if as you read that, what you think. It's tempting to think, isn't it? Is, is that it? Is that all they got? We sort of know that, that praying is a good thing to do, a thing we ought to do, but I presume it's not just me who sometimes think, "What on earth am I doing? Is this really all I got? Is this going to make any difference?" But the church pray. Now, look, what, what we get here is not a theology of prayer. Um, it is not answering all our questions that, that we have on prayer. It's, it, it, it's, it's not all that the Bible says about prayer, but it is a story meant to encourage us to pray. Why does it encourage us to pray? Well, the four things we'll see, and they're on your service sheet if you find it helpful. God can answer our prayers, but the power is his, and God will defeat his enemies, and his, world, his word will flourish Firstly then, God answers our prayers. Remember what the church is doing. They're earnestly praying, in verse 5, to God for Peter. And here's what comes next, verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains and sentries, stood guards at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. <clears throat> Quick, get up, he said. Left him. Do you hear how that's written? It's written so that we understand that God is the one doing this. It's not Peter. Peter's asleep or half asleep. He's got no idea what's going on until right at the end. It is the angel of the Lord who takes all of the initiative. And if you can remember back to when you were a kid and you were heading off on holiday and your parents had to wake you up like super early like horrible o'clock, like half three or something. And they, they, they come in and they, you know, they sort of wake you up and say, it's time to go, going. You're like, what, what? Like, what is going on? Like, here's a cereal bar. Get in the car. You're still in your pajamas. Just off, you know, off we go. It's a bit like that here, isn't it? it the, the, the angel of the Lord has to give all the instructions. Get up, get dressed. Don't forget your shoes. Time to go. Follow me. Peter's got nothing to do with it. And the things that that, that were keeping Peter locked up, the things that seem so solid and permanent, well, they just come to nothing. The chains on his wrists just fall away. The big iron gates of the prison just open up as they approach it. The four Roman soldiers are just asleep on the floor. None of those things are a match for the Lord. And in the end, verse 11, Peter sees that too. Verse 11, then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. God's enemies have their plans, the things that they are hoping for. But God is the one who is in control. And I think if nothing else, this is meant to be an encouragement for us to pray. When you pray and it it feels weak and you're not even sure really what you're praying, you do know who you're praying to, don't you? You are praying to the Lord of the universe, the one who upholds every atom in every molecule in this whole creation. Even those things that, that seem so solid and permanent and immovable, God can change them in an instant even when we have no other resources that we can call on. We can call on the one who orders everything, everything for his glory and for the good of his people. That is who we pray to. God answers our prayers. But secondly, the power is his. The power is always his. Verse 12. When this had dawned on Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So there's the church still there, still praying. Verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance. Peter isn't Jesus. He can't walk through walls. He's got to knock like everybody else. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. I like Ruda. I I cannot read this and not hear her say it in a Northern Irish accent. (laughs) Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. I just That's just me. She was probably not from Northern Ireland. But you see the point. She she only gets one line. But uh, but the point is, a, a servant gets what has happened. She's probably been praying with the rest of the church. She gets it. She's so overcome that she leaves Peter outside but the rest of the church don't get it quite so much. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Now look, we're not not told exactly what the church had been praying for Peter. It was probably a, a whole mix of things, wasn't it? It was probably, Lord, please rescue Peter. But it was probably also, Lord, please would Peter persevere to the end. Please, if, if this is the end, would his death bring glory to the Lord Jesus? They're probably praying a whole, whole range of things, so let's not be too harsh on them here. But there clearly is disbelief. They, they say it must be his angel, either someone from the prison, a messenger from the prison, or maybe he's, he's died already. Here's his angel come. Come. But you see, their lack of faith or otherwise did not stop God from acting. He could still use their maybe half-hearted, faithless prayers. While they're still trying to figure it all out, work out what's going on, Peter's still outside knocking away verse 16. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet. I mean, too right. They're astonished. They're probably all asking 101 questions. Peter's like, guys, the Romans, shh. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, different James, and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Peter's instinct is is to go to the church. He wanted the whole church to know what the Lord had done, that they might be encouraged. God has answered your prayers. I just think they would have needed that encouragement, wouldn't they? They had probably been praying the same things for James, that God would rescue him, and he was executed. So it, it's not that they could presume on God to answer their prayers, to do what they asked. But that doesn't stop them praying. It encourages them to pray because the power is his. He can do it. It is astonishing, isn't it, that God would answer our prayers. I just think he, he is the Lord Almighty. He can do anything. But he hears you and me when we pray, and he has the power to answer. Sometimes when God answers our prayers, we don't even believe it, or we don't even stop to notice it. Maybe we're, we're too busy trying to work out you know, logically how it all happened. Or um, when we see God answer our prayers, we, we think it is all about us. Oh, I must, I must have had a lot of faith that day for the Lord to answer it. But it is God's power he is in control. He can answer our prayers, but the power is always his. Being, um, uh, we, a few weeks ago, um, we took a gang up to Wembley Park um, to walk around. are going to do a church plant there later in the summer. Come and ask if you want to find out more details. Um, we, we took a gang up just to walk around, look around the church building, um, see who's there and pray. One of the things we were praying um, uh, with that little gang was for more people um, to join the team uh, from CCM. Um, it, was ju- it was just before church, and we came straight, straight to the evening service. And after the evening service, um, three people, totally independently of each other and totally independently of you know, the people who had uh, been, uh, been praying up in Wembley Park, three, three new people came and said, I'd love to hear more. Um, I'm thinking, I wasn't thinking about uh, joining before, but circumstances have changed and different things happened. I am now thinking of coming. And my mind goes straight to, oh, who, who are you speaking to? Did you, you know, did, did someone tell you how great the church building is and how wonderful, you know, the transport links to Wembley Parker? That, that, that's, they are great. Um, <laughs> your mind just goes immediately there, around thinking, well, we, we prayed and the Lord answered. Great works of God and throughout history can almost always be traced back to the people of God praying. So again, last mention of Wembley Park for tonight at least. Um, uh, Billy Graham, uh, the famous, famous evangelist, back in 1955, packed out Wembley Stadium. When I say packed out, it was 120,000 people that uh, came to Wembley Stadium to hear Billy Graham preach. And we think, wow, that, I mean, that's... You know, I mean, Wembley Stadium only fits about 90,000 now, so we'll lower our estimates a bit for um, church planting in Wembley Park. But you, the reason, it, Billy Graham, famous for lots of things, he, was a, he prayed, and he got other people to pray. He would only come somewhere to preach if the churches had committed to praying for months in advance that God would be at work um, opening blind eyes God does answer our prayers, sometimes in in different ways to the ways that we wanted. But sometimes he does give us what we ask for, not because we did it right, not because we're having a good day, but because he has the power to do it. The church prayed for Peter, and now here is Peter in front of them. Would God have rescued Peter if the church hadn't been praying? We don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But if they hadn't prayed, they would have missed out on, on being part of what God was doing. What a huge encouragement to have been praying for Peter, and there he is. So a few, a few applications for us. Um, one very simple one. Come to the prayer meeting. Come to the prayer meeting. It's next Wednesday. Not this Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Come and join with your brothers and sisters and pray for the world. Pray for our church, pray for our city. Come and be part of what God is doing as he answers our prayers. The power is his, but he wants us to pray. And Let me challenge you as well to to pray bigger prayers than you used to. Maybe especially when it feels like the heat is on, either you personally as a Christian or just generally in our culture, when it feels like the heat is on, pray big prayers. God has answered their prayers because the power is his, but the story doesn't end there, does it? More quickly, Herod is still around and God has the power to deal with him too. God will defeat his enemies. Verse 18, in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had made a thorough thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Okay, you might think, regards, what it got to do with them, but the the soldiers pay the price for being part of the persecution of God's people. But what about the leader? What about Herod? Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. The point there, I think, is that but geopolitics carries on around Herod. He's got other issues to think about. He's, you know, he's distracted. He's, he's worrying about other things. But God's enemies cannot go on forever. Verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. There is Herod in his royal robes, sitting on his throne, soaking up the praise of of the people. But his prize exposed and his time is up. He will not be allowed to persecute God's people forever. And God strikes him down it was quite common to get worms. Um, back in the day, rich people would eat lots of meat. It was, wasn't very nice. It was infested. You'd get a blockage in your gut, and you'd, that was you. Was this another answer to the prayers of God's people? We're, we're not told explicitly, but I guess it would be a fair assumption that as the people prayed for Peter to be rescued, they prayed that Herod would be removed from power. And God didn't answer that one straight away, like he answered their prayers for Peter's rescue. The power is his, remember, but he did answer it. And so let me encourage you to pray that tyrants, that enemies of God will be brought down. Sometimes God will do that in a very public way. At other times, it may well seem like they get away with it for years, living in peace and comfort. But whether or not they're defeated in this life, they will one day die and face the judgment of God. So let me ask you are, you, are you still praying for Putin's downfall? It's hard, isn't it? The war has been going on for um, over a year. Putin seems no closer to being brought down. This is an encouragement to keep praying. He may well escape the judgment of the International Criminal Court, but he will not ex- escape the judgment of almighty God. God will defeat his enemies. But even that's not the final word here, is it? The people had said that hearing Herod was like the voice of a God. But now Herod is dead and his words are nothing. But there is a word that cannot be stopped, verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. See, persecution comes and goes. God's enemies come and go. And God's word through it all spreads and flourishes. God is growing his church even when it's being persecuted. Even when key leaders are taken out like James. And others are put under intense pressure like Peter. Peter. God is still doing that. God's word is still going out, spreading and flourishing. I must say that Eritrean church leader I told you about um, at the beginning. He said this. Um, it was released from prison. In prison, one of my main purposes as a Christian was to evangelize. We did it at nighttime when all the guards were asleep. We even had Bible portions we could study in secret. We saw many conversions the gospel cannot be chained. That's right, isn't it? Even under the most intense persecution, God's word spreads and flourishes. And so that is an encouragement to us, isn't it? To keep going. To keep going even when we feel weak. And to keep praying. Keep praying, Lord, give me the strength to live as a Christian in this tough staff room. Lord, give me opportunities to speak about Jesus even when my family just seemed to be hardened to the gospel. Lord, would your word spread and flourish even if it gets harder to be a Christian in this country? God's work still goes forward always relentlessly. So we pray. We pray that God would be at work mightily, even in the face of opposition. We keep living for Jesus. We keep speaking of him. We take the opportunities we have. We leave the results to God. The power is always his. It always has been. It always will be. But his word will spread. It will flourish. Let's pray. Father, we, we probably will not face this level of persecution or the level of persecution that believers all across the world do face every day. And yet we need your encouragement here to keep going in the face of persecution, to keep praying most of all. Father, thank you that, that you control everything, that you could bring Peter out of that prison despite all the forces of, of the Roman guards Father, you can change this nation. You can change our, our, our office environments. You can change the cultures that we live in. You can change our families. Father, you can do it. Would we be bold enough? Would we trust you enough to pray, to entrust results to you, to know that whatever happens, whatever we face inv- individually, your word will spread. It will flourish. Father, give us confidence that we might rejoice in it.